Hey, this is Beth Ann from She Will Rock You Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about something that can be triggering to different audiences. There's going to be topics of abuse, um, talking a little bit about suicide. Um, we want to be super sensitive to our audiences. So we just wanted to let you know ahead of time what's coming up in this episode. And then we'll let you decide from there. It's been a while. It's been a while. But also, we're recording in the light. What is this? Whoa, that's a good observation. <laughs> when I, I can actually see your face. When I was driving here, I was like, it's not 6 p.m. It has. Yeah. I feel like it's been like two months since we recorded. It's not been. It's been like. No, it's literally just been like three weeks. Yeah. But here we are. Yes, we the are. The last recording session of 2019. There's about, what time is it? It's 1.01 p.m. So there's about 11 hours left in this year, which leads me to my question of. I'm so ready. What is one band that you haven't seen previously that you'd like to see live in 2020? I actually have two. <clears throat> okay. You ready? I think you know what they are. Yeah, I probably know at least one of them. The first one is obviously Poppy. Yes, I was going to guess It's not that. even a question. Good news, by the way, she just broke up with her producer, Titanic Sinclair. Good. It was an abusive a-hole. Good for her. So pretty happy for her getting toxic people out of her life in 2020 so she can drop her album in January. I disagree. Oh, yeah, that comes out soon. Oh, I can't wait. The songs that she's released so far, like, perfect. They are good. Perfect. It's not maybe my style, but I like them. I, I They're just so unique. And uh, so I would like to go see her soon, hopefully. I'd go with you. Well, <laughs> well, we had that text conversation where it's like, I choose a show and you choose a show. Yes. That we both go to. Yes. So here's my second person. Okay. Persons. Peoples. Peoples. Collective group of individuals the struts okay because they seem like fun shows it's it's an amazing show and i like fun shows i like entertaining shows that whether i and i do like the struts they're not like my <laughs> lord and savior poppy not as much as but, i love them but <laughs> but i always always do appreciate a good show it's an amazing show i just saw them again obviously there's a reason i saw them three times in one year yeah but they just need to announce a freaking tour schedule for next year and then we'll be good. That's true. I'm waiting. I'm Everybody's waiting to announce things for 2020 right now. I have a it's feeling. It's the worst time. They haven't announced their album number three drop date, but I feel like it's going to be at least summer, if not later. So I feel like the tour will be later next year than it mm -hmm. was this year. That's my theory. Nothing to back it up, but. It's, it's, a, it's a plausible theory. Yeah. Same to you. I want to see, I'll also pick two. I really want to see Goodbye June. I don't know them, actually. You should listen to their album, Community Inn. It dropped back in the fall. Okay. Um, everyone out there, listen to them. They're a Nashville-based, I want to say, like, Southern rock. They've got, like, they've got a little bit of Zeppelin influence, a little bit of a, a Skinnerd influence. Nice. But all their songs are very different from one another, but still kind of sound the same, which I mm -hmm. appreciate. And... I really want to see Palais Royale. <laughs> oh, they're good. I do like them. <laughs> they haven't announced their 2020 dates either. Uh, they keep like teasing them on social media. And I'm like, just announce the damn dates. <laughs> we need to make plans. So those are my two. I mean, at least with like really big bands, they announce their tours in like two years in advance. And you're like, oh, that's convenient. But then you have to like hurry and get those tickets. Yeah. Two years in advance. Yeah. I bought my queen tickets December 2018 for an August 2019 concert. Like, yeah. but I appreciate that smaller bands. At least, at least they plan. They did plan. Yeah. The smaller bands don't sell it as fast. 
they are more affordable, but they take forever to announce. Well, they the can date. announce five days in advance. <laughs> Five days in advance. Yeah, but we need to plan our lives. <laughs> <laughs> I have limited vacation days that I need to it's account true. for. It's very true. Yeah. So I'm Leah. I'm Beth Ann. And this is She Will Rock You. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Last one of 2019. It is the last one. And we don't have any reviews to read this week. But I do want to give a shout out to Strutter Patty and her son, Tommy, because uh, I saw them this weekend in Philly and mm-hmm. she let us know how much she loves our podcast. Aww. She was telling me that normally she used to listen to MuggleCast, the Harry okay. Potter podcast, yeah. to fall asleep. So she switched to ours, but we're too interesting, <laughs> so she can't fall asleep I to I was it. literally listening to this story and I'm like, which direction <laughs> is this going to go? So It would have been fine either way. Hey, a listen is a listen. A I will take listen. it. If our voices soothe you to sleep, then so be it. They don't. We're too no. interesting. But she said once she listens to it once, she'll listen to it to go to sleep. That's so. awesome. Shout out to Patty. Thanks, You can Patty. follow her at Here for the Struts on Instagram. Is there any other announcements we need to make as we kick off 2020? That's a great question. Um, I don't really think so. Uh, other than we that, have things planned yeah. out for 2020. Yeah, look on look out for some more special bonus episodes. Yeah. We'll continue with these these main ones the way we've been doing them, but hopefully if some people will respond to our DMs, <laughs> we will have ideally one bonus episode a month. I think that's a fair. Yeah. It's a fair thing to say. I agree. But be looking out. We got we we got some cool things I yeah. think planned up our sleeve for 2020, yeah. so we're really excited for this year. Stay tuned. Be sure to subscribe so you get it the second it drops. Yes. Anyway, who are we talking about today? The holidays may be over, but this episode has a little bit of a holiday spirit to it. It's the ghost of Christmas past. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that's pretty good. But my notes say, and that is the spirit of Festivus. Uh, Do you know what Festivus is? No. Oh, man. Well, it's a Seinfeld thing, which yeah. apparently I've been informed only New Yorkers watch Seinfeld. This and is very true. A select true. few of New Jerseyans. But Festivus is an idea that's against commercialism. It's a holiday formed against commercialism. And they have this, at the dinner table, this airing of grievances <laughs> where you go around the table and you say, what pissed you off about that person? <laughs> that it's, sounds like a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> no. Very healthy. Very very. <laughs> you know sustainable for relationships cleansing but anyway so in the spirit of festivus i would like to make this episode (laughs) an airing of grievances leah's laughing because she knows where i'm going with this so i would like to say that bing crosby is a piece of trash human (laughs) well hold on He, he i mean yes there are some supporting claims to that but he may have not been the nice gentle father figure you knew and loved growing up or at least your grandmother and mother grew up <laughs> loving so i don't say this in haste or with malicious intent but i have some evidence to support my claim and yes this is a rule breaker again i apologize we're gonna go back to our regularly scheduled program next episode but as Lee and i were talking <laughs> we felt like we just need to get it out we couldn't tempt you with that information and then not support our claims yes 
If you listen to the Nat King Hole episode, I was originally going to cover Bing Crosby for Christmas. And then I went on his Wikipedia page and I said, holy shit, we are not covering Bing Crosby for Christmas. So here we are. So here we are in the new year. Let's just set the record straight in 2020 who Bing Crosby yes. is. So let's jump into his early age. Harold Lillis Crosby Jr. Ew. Is bo- <laughs> well, it's 1903, Leah. <laughs> Give the guy some slack. I feel like we're rapidly approaching that naming convention again. We're oh, like, yeah. let's give our kids some weird ass names so that they're different. If you look at 1900 <laughs> names, this is a tangent, but it's right. I don't have as many notes, so we can go on as many tangents as yes. we like. But you have like interesting names like Agnes, Beatrice. And then today we have like hashtag, a kid named <laughs> hashtag. So it's, it's been, it's been a whirlwind over there was, society's uh, naming choices. I forget. There was a very, very horrible baby name I saw recently. And it just kind of made me cringe. These yeah. kids. I mean, as technology grows, I wonder if kids are going to start getting named after like computer programs. Maybe. Or games. I feel like. I mean, a kid named Link is a good idea. I feel like I've seen a kid named Linux before. Yeah. Like, I can see that being a good like name. Like the though. operating system. <laughs> I mean, I'm not supporting my case I'm trying to build here. But you know what? Linux? I ain't bad at name. It is a pretty cool name. Link is also an okay name but if you name a kid microsoft then just name him bill bill (laughs) we're a traditional family here bill bill middle name gates elon elon's a good name it is a good name but harold lillis crosby jr he's born in tacoma washington in 1903 he is the fourth child out of seven kids big family on his father's side he is actually a descendant of a passenger who was on the mayflower that's pretty cool yeah, no, super cool. When he was around three years old, his family moved to Spokane, Washington. His name came from a neighbor who called him Bingo from Bingville. What the hell? <laughs> and this was, I guess, a comic strip back in the day. And Bing as a kid really liked it. So like they started calling him like Bingo from Bingville, then Bingo, then Bing for short. That's weird. But now, okay. Bing Crosby told the press, yeah, my name came when I was a kid and I was like, Tend to play cops and robbers, and I kept saying "Bing, Bing, 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 Bing," and it stuck. And uh-huh. I'm like, "No, you you just don't want to say it was Bingo from Bingville." Uh huh. <laughs> but also to go on another tangent here, it always fascinates me when people take their childhood nicknames as like their stage name. Yeah. Like Whoopi Goldberg kind of did the same thing, and it's like, I feel like the, the childhood names I grew up with. I don't want anyone to really know them. <laughs> <laughs> wait we got now we got to share one because i only had one you only had one i had well i had one i had one in high school that people used to call me but i'll do the one from my family they used to call me bop they still call me bop be, for two reasons one the bop character in barney and then two i was notorious for bopping my father and my brother in the head with my head. <laughs> i mean valid yeah i mean why not my for some reason my nana started calling me muffy like from muffy. arthur Oh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was being a brat one day and that's probably how I got it but she still calls me either, either Muffy or Miss Muffet I don't know <laughs> but like it's so I don't know it's just interesting Bing yeah it's cool kind of I guess it worked out in the end yeah. but it always fascinates me when you take childhood nicknames and I'm like no I'm gonna be known by that I'm like don't walk to don't, be fair don't find me on the street calling me Bob it's better than his real name that's true Harold <laughs> we could have done Harry Crosby Nah. or Lilis Cro- Lil Lil Crosby Lil Crosby see that would have worked well anyway so in 1923 
He was asked to join a band with some of his high school peers. Crosby was on the drums, apparently, for it. Okay. Is what I read. I could be wrong on that. But their band name is called um, the Music Collators. Okay. Glad that didn't work out. Well, it's 1920. It's probably Still. like, it probably was a phrase to something, like they're merging two phrases. It's lost to time what they were trying to mishmash, but. Good try. Their career included playing at high school dances and clubs. They also performed once on the Spokane radio station. Just once. Just once. Because then they broke up. Mm -hmm. And they only lasted a couple of years. But what's cool is all of a sudden, Bing, I was called Bill for some reason, (laughs) Bing and his previous bandmate, Al Rinker, decide to go work in the theater at Spokane and in between films, Bing would sing with a trio called the Three Harmony Aces while Al played piano. And that moved into what would become the Harmony Boys, which was their big break. It's an okay name. It's not bad. For 1920. For a, a group of crooners, I'm assuming. Yes. It works. Yes. Well, crooners wasn't a thing yet. Well. Bing was the original crooner. So everyone, I was reading like, because vaudeville was on its way out mm-hmm. and with vaudeville you had to be really loud and pronunciate so it's a very different style of singing it's more operatic than anything because mm-hmm. you're not really using mics mm-hmm. and for him having this low voice and it's does like you have to have a microphone it was like a whole different singing style it wasn't popular then he kind of helped bring it anyway getting ahead of myself so big and al Big and Al. Big and Al. <laughs> They're getting the fever, the Hollywood fever. And in 1925, the two of them make their way to Los Angeles. Now, Al's sister is conveniently already a singer in Hollywood. That is convenient. She introduces them to some key industry people. And shortly after, Bing and Al on the low circuit performing in a rev- review called The Syncopation Idea. Don't you love the 1920s? No, I mean, I do, but they could have named things a little better. Yeah. I mean, it was on the precipice of entertainment growing. So, you know, they had to work out some kinks. This is true. But it is here that Bing develops as a performer. Then a famous composer at the time, Paul Whiteman, spotted their act and hired them as an intermission type show between his performances. Kind of like during big band style was really coming into place around that time and like you know, you just have like those little side mm-hmm. acts between numbers while the band's kind of prepping. We need to bring back intermission acts in live theater. Oh, I agree. Just saying. I agree 100%. <laughs> but so that they kind of filled that role as that kind of side act while the band was prepping for their next performance. So like I said, we all know that Bing had that really deep, luscious voice that your grandmother went crazy for. Mm-hmm. Had all the records of him. My grandmother at least had it. Um, But it's in the near 1920s that Bing becomes the star of the Rhythm Boys. So he's not just in the troupe. He's kind of rising to the top. In 1929, he makes his film debut in a Paul Whiteman film called King of Jazz. And this is when I went on my first rabbit trail. Because have you ever heard the phrase pre-code film? No. Okay, we're going to become a movie podcast for just a couple minutes. Okay. Because this shit is fascinating. So... Basically, this was considered a pre-code film. And before I would think the cutoff was 1933, because the Roaring Twenties were the Roaring Twenties, there was a lot more like innuendos, 
more mild profanity. Like, gotta love American LGBTQ history. was actually like in these films. <clears throat> it was very female-driven films. Thanks, conservative America. <laughs> it's kind of where I'm going, unfortunately. But basically, like these films, like I actually went after reading this wiki wiki page. I went and watched some clips, and I was like, I was like, holy crap! Like. I didn't know like that was an old cinema. Yeah, I didn't know that either. And like I was really surprised for that time some of the clips I've seen. And of course like some of them were a little bit violent. So it was it was good and bad, but they put in something called the Haze Code. And the Haze Code basically Okay, I saw something about the Haze Code this weekend oh, in really? regards to Star Wars. Oh, for real? Know, it was a weird Twitter side tangent, but I had no freaking clue what the Haze Code yeah, was. I didn't know either. And it's basically like this code that I guess all movie theaters not movie theaters uh movie producing companies kind of agreed to where there were just certain things that were not allowed in film because they wanted to clean it up for family audiences because there was no rating system yeah so their viewpoint and i get it i'm a little bit mad about it but i get it was because there's no rating system no one really knows so that's why they put in place however that's when censorship got born pretty much yeah um in media and now we got some great films out of it, but it's just very interesting how should have just made a rating system and stuck with that. But OK, well, yeah, it was a long road to get there. It wasn't until I think it was Gremlins and Indiana Jones, the second one that they finally realized they needed a different category. Good. And so the 80s did a, not to be a movie podcast. The 80s did a lot for film. It did. We'll leave it there. No, that's absolutely correct. <laughs> so anyway, that's what pre-code is. It's a really fun wiki read. Yeah. I had no clue this was a thing. But anyway, shortly after the release of the film, the Rhythm Boys left Whiteman's troupe and joined Gus Arnheim Orchestra instead. Um, but however, in 1931, Rhythm Boys go on break and Bing starts his solo career. He signs with CBS and performs a 15-minute radio broadcast. His career at this point just skyrockets. 10 out of the top 50 songs in the country in 1931 contained Bing Crosby. Dang. His next film, which was called The Big Broadcast, that would become a series. Like, I think they had like three or four films kind of under that title. Um, it went, it did super well. And Paramount signs him and starts, he starts filming three films a year. That's a lot of films. Yeah. So not only is he doing films, he's also still recording. Those two, he were constant that he would keep doing. Was he on drugs? We'll get to that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think it's fair to say that part of Crosby's success was his appeal during the Depression. Because he's rising. If you look, because 1929 mm -hmm. was arguably his breakout time. And that's the same year the stock market crashed. Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, he was that first crooner style voice. It wasn't vaudeville. It wasn't loud. It was something different. And he also helped keep record sales afloat during that time because him and Decca worked out this idea that instead of artists receiving flat rates, so instead of him receiving a flat rate, that mm -hmm. he would just receive royalties instead. And that allowed record sales to go down from a dollar to 35 cents, hmm. which is a big difference during yeah. that time. He also, I think, possessed the American ideal and that image that Mar Americans wanted to look to. So I think that's why his success was so strong I can see and prevalent. That. But what is cool, and I will give a shout out to Bing on this, he also helped more African-Americans appear in film. 
Interesting. Bing became friends with Louis Armstrong. They had a friendship for decades. And Bing wanted him to appear in this in his film, Pennies from Heaven. And originally the director objected, but Bing actually threatened to leave the picture. Good for him. If Louis Armstrong wasn't included. The director finally gave in. And I believe that was Louis Armstrong's film debut, but I can't exactly verify it, but I think it was. He also ensured that Armstrong had equal billing with the rest of his co-stars. Oh, good for him. Yeah, so he had like, looking in hindsight, actually had some pretty progressive views with like those things moving Mm -hmm. forward in industry and making sure they were, you know, getting to a place where they could, anyway, Mm -hmm. achieve. By 1945, he was the most successful entertainer in history. Up to that point, he had sold over 60 million records. Dang. His most popular song is White Christmas. It was released in 1941. When released, it stayed number one for 11 weeks. And every time Decca would release it, it would show up on the charts again. It like topped the charts 16 times. Dang. Um, it also sold 100 million copies around the world. Dang. And due to the song's popularity, the original recording became damaged from overuse. So Oof. Bing had to go re-record the song in 1947 with the exact same band and the exact same backup dancers. Oh and my And they gosh. didn't make it exactly the same. That's stressful. So a lot of the recordings that we hear is the 1947 version. Huh. It's not the 1941 version because the 1941 got damaged. Huh. Not crazy. You would have thought they would have just like made a copy of the original when they made the original. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't think of that, but like I think... They didn't anticipate how big it was going to be probably. I think that's why. They really didn't think it was going to be that huge. And yeah. I think just from so much duplication at that point, just the original broke. My how far we've come. Yeah. No, for real. But he also was the first multimedia star ever. You know, crossing between record sales and movie sales. Of course, he's one of his most popular films is Holiday Inn and White Christmas, both Irving Berlin classics mm-hmm. but he also was known for his road two films with his new partner bob hope al rankman bing and al are no longer a thing it's now bing and bob bing and bob bing and bob and they did seven films all together under that road two films and then in 1944 he won an oscar for his performance going my way i had no clue he got an oscar mm-hmm. yeah in 1950s he broke into a new medium television and from 1954 to his death in 1977, there were multiple Bing Crosby specials, including a 28-episode show called The Bing Crosby Show. And his last televised performance was With what, Leah? David Bowie. That's right. Filmed in London. It was a Crosby Christmas special. You can listen to it in the Christmas songs episode. <laughs> it is great it and is awkward. Great. It's awkwardly great. <laughs> the, the story. The audio recording is not awkward, but if you watch the video, it is very awkward. I need to go back and watch it. You can tell they're just forced to like, you two have nothing in common. Go be friends. Yeah. <laughs> no, I could definitely see that. And they're just so different too. Yeah. They're in very different stages of their life at that point. Oh yeah. And I think I'm probably getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I think Crosby is the antithesis to everything we talk about. <laughs> like yeah. all the bands that we talk about, unfortunately. And I let, you know, I grew up on being Crosby's music because my grandmother who was born in 1925. So she was mm-hmm. a lot older than people who are my age and their grandmothers being yeah so she like grew up with Bing Crosby so I grew up with it too but um it's just very interesting like as Bing Crosby's exiting 
this whole new music revolution is just rising up. Yep. It's really cool. We'll write a book on it someday. Don't worry. <laughs> she will rock you book. <laughs> pending. Yeah, pending. And then, uh, so not only did he perform on television, he also was a producer as well. His production house, Bing Crosby Productions, was affiliated with Desilu Studios, which is famous for I Love Lucy. Yeah. Just listened to a great podcast on that this week. Oh, really? Ironically. That's an interesting story, story too, is the I Love Lucy, mm-hmm. like background of that show. I had no idea it started as a radio show. Really? Yeah. It, it went on for a radio show for like four years. Dang. And then TV was like really, really young. This is a total side tangent. And they really wanted them to move to New York to film. And they were like, no, we're doing this in LA. We live in LA. You got to fly all this equipment out here. Yeah. And they're kind of the reason that Hollywood has become such a big like TV capital. That's interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. It was really cool. Um, but a couple of other achievements to add to Bing's list. He helped foster early pre-recording technology. Basically what happened was during, I want to say like this was 1930s, this was happening, but everything you heard was live. Nothing was pre-recorded. And the reason why producers liked it that way was if it's like a radio show, like a comedy radio show, and an actor messes up, just having them come back with their wit and that improv was usually funnier than the actual joke. Hmm. Or if a singer was fell off script um, or basically messed up and that how they recovered, mm-hmm. sometimes that was more beautiful than the actual thing. But Bing actually fought for pre-recorded, pre-recorded uh, technology so that programs could be pre-recorded because what also was happening was not only did you record it live, but you usually had to do it twice. You had to do it for East Coast and you had to do it for West Coast a couple oh. of hours later. And he doesn't have time for that. No, <laughs> no. But he his whole world revolved around basically the whim of the studios planning out things. And instead, he's like, let's pre-record this. You can play it. I can even record four programs you're going to run through the year and I could be off for a month and yeah. do other things. Like I said, this dude's busy. Yeah. <laughs> he's movie. He's television. He's got his own production house. He doesn't have time to wait around for three hour time zone differences. No, exactly. He doesn't. And so he basically pushed for that. Him and NBC got into a huge fight about it. But eventually that became the standard was pre-recording things. That wasn't a thing. Hmm. So Bing was like, hey, we're going to do this. And on that same note, he also helped develop videotape recording because during TV, Everything also was live. Yeah. And he said, no, we're going to pre-record this so that we can all move on and record it whenever. Hmm. So that was another thing that he really fought for. And then the last thing on my achievements list is he owned the Pittsburgh Pirates. Wait, what? I think that's interesting. Considering he's from Spokane, Washington. That is so the random. Pitch- Pirates. I don't know. Did he live in Pittsburgh? No. That's so weird. Absolutely not. No, he either lived in Hollywood or he had his home in Spokane. Weird. Yeah. Very strange. So I admit, wait, what time are we at? Oh, we're good, fine. We're 30 minutes in. I'm, <laughs> I'm not even in the good stuff yet. Yeah, we haven't talked about why he's horrible. Yeah. So I admit, he sounds like a great guy so far. So why don't I like him as much as I did? So while he was making great progressive achievements for the industry, he was not the same person at home. Dun, dun, dun. And I'll be honest, it's a little bit heartbreaking that he wasn't 
the great person he was on screen. He's not a family man? At his house. No. That's the thing, Leah. <laughs> it gets me mad. Like, these kind of situations just get me mad. But let's start here. So we're going to start with his first marriage. Oh, wait. There are multiple marriages? There's only two. Okay. There's only two. But his first wife was Dixie Lee. She was an up-and-coming actress. She's done a couple films. She meets Bing when she's 19. They get married shortly after. They had four sons. Jeez. Gary, twins Dennis and Philip, and Lindsay. And they were married in 1930, but six months into their marriage, the kids didn't show up till like 1933. Six months into their marriage, Lee claimed they were separated, citing mental cruelty. Oh, no. So, but after a week, they did reconcile. It's actually kind of a nice story. She's basically at a party with a friend and she concedes in her friend that she doesn't feel as mad as at Bing as she did a week ago. She stayed away. So, well, I mean, well, the friend was trying to be a good friend to say, why don't you call him? And she calls him and they kind of talk it out. And Bing actually flew on an airplane to go see her immediately. I'm skeptical. <laughs> Look, I'm not, I'm presenting the evidence, but I got to be fair. I got to be a fair judge here. I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm very biased. <laughs> but anyway, so have that be what it is. Um, so they did reconcile and they remained married until she unfortunately passed away from ovarian cancer in 1952. She was only like 45. Super young. We'll get into more of the reasoning as to why that happened. But Crosby does get married again. He does get a second wife. However, let me read you this sentence straight from Wiki. <clears throat> Shortly after Bing Crosby's first wife, Dixie Lee, died of ovarian cancer, he started dating Sheenan. I think her name was like Claire Sheenan. She was a Playboy bunny. I pulled this from her wiki. Um, she was a Playboy bunny? Yeah. Eventually, Crosby proposed to Sheenan. On May 4th, 1958, she married Crosby's son, Dennis Crosby. Wait, what, the, what the hell? In Las what Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> they had three ki- kids. They divorced in 1964. Wait, wait, what? Let me read this sentence to you. <laughs> let, me, let me get to the crux of it. Eventually, Crosby proposed to Sheenan. Yeah. On, nine, on May 4th, 1958, she married Crosby's son, Dennis. What? <laughs> Why is she marrying the son? I don't know. What did he do? Wiki doesn't really go into it. Oh. No one goes into it. That's the story I, I want to know. know about. So did, Cro- did like Bing propose and then his son comes right behind him and is like, actually, dad dun 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 like it's just a soap opera moment i mean she was probably closer to his son's age anyway let's be real yeah yeah that's probably true because his wife that he does marry um Catherine grant who becomes Catherine crosby is 30 years his junior Ooh. so that's probably the case but that's when you think about it that he was like i think 60 when he got married i want to wait let me see here wife died the in age difference there is like kids who aren't born yet yeah compared to us which is weird it's yeah. not a thing don't do that yeah i think he's 60 Ew. she's like 30 i don't know i'm Ew. not gonna do the math um so anyway gets married to actress Catherine grant comes Catherine crosby and then they have three kids harry lilith the third of course mary and nathaniel who went by nathan i'm assuming so when crosby was younger he had a drinking problem and it may have been one of the stressors on his first marriage early on so when Bing and Dixie Lee were first married, obviously they're going to Hollywood parties. 
obviously there's a lot of drinking happening and Dixie would drink sociably to keep up with Bing. But Bing's an alcoholic. And if you have someone who's an alcoholic, you can't keep up with them. And you're not alcoholic, don't even try. You're going to kill yourself. Yeah. But eventually that turned into a drinking problem for her. Dang. And there was like numerous of times where the one of the Crosby sons, like in this story I was reading, they would just see their mom passed out in the house for mm-hmm. hours and hours on end. And the nurse would say, oh, she's just resting. Like she's had a big day and her like, what, is she going to sleep all day? And yep. it's really just a cover up for how much she was drinking. But she was pretty much from the story I was reading. I can't definitively say this because who the hell knows? But I would assume she was absolutely miserable. Oh, yeah, probably. Drinking. She doesn't see Bing very much. And when she's Bing's got four home, kids. She's got four sons. <laughs> and then when Bing's home, it's not happy times. Yeah. So alcohol was one of the leading reasons for her ovarian cancer was acute alcoholism. I can see that. Yeah. So it's pretty sad. But <laughs> because of this. Bing actually told his son, I think it was Gary, he told this to, not to drink, that drinking would ruin your life, but to smoke marijuana instead. This is interesting. I'm going to drop this tidbit right now. Bing Crosby said in an interview in the 1970s that weed should be legalized. Interesting. I would never have pegged him as like... I know. Pro-marijuana. But I know, because he has this image of like... Yeah. Fatherly figure, but in the 1970s, he's leaving soon anyway. So he's like, you know what? Screw it. Legalize it. <laughs> Legalize it all. Bye. <laughs> See you later. But yeah, interesting fact for you. Okay. But on the subject of his children, let's talk about why I'm mad. Because yes. I'm mad about that stuff too. But this is the real reason why it just really upsets me. Yes. Was how he treated his kids. All seven of them. Uh, no, I'm going to say oh, okay. the four. Thank you for clarifying. The first though. four? The first four. Okay. Um, the first four had a very different experience than the last three because okay. he had the three way later on in life. At 60. Yeah. So after Crosby's death, his oldest son, Gary, wrote a book called Going My Own Way, a play on Going My Way, mm-hmm. which won him the Oscar. In it, he spoke of the abuse he received from his father He was depicted, his father, as cold, strict, far from the family man portrayed in the films that he often starred Mm -hmm. in. Allegedly, he would often call his son, Gary, a fat ass in front of people. Nice. Yeah. Um, In front of like business people when he took them to the to like the entertainment Mm -hmm. production houses and call his other son, Dennis, stupid. And then he only liked one son, Lindsay, who... Honestly, the reason that he likes him because it looks like him. That's I looked at the picture's son. That one's the one that looks most like his him. His mini me. Yeah. And that's the only one he like reportedly liked. That's dumb. Yeah. And there were strict rules in the house for everything the boys did. And for everything that went wrong, even for like little remedial things that kids do, there was some kind of humiliating punishment for them. Great parenting. Yeah. Um, Gary also claimed that Bing would make him stand on a scale. If the number was not where he thinks it should be, then he would beat him with a studded belt until he bled. Oh, yeah. The poor kid. Yeah. And then as he got older, his father resorted to beating him with a cane. Jeez. So like, <laughs> this is why I don't like this guy. No, like, that's not healthy. I don't care how many cool things you did. You're an asshole. You can't, you can't treat people like that. No. And, a lot of people will claim, well, that was just a different time. No, 
There's no excuse for that. No. There's no excuse. But is any of this true? Philip accused Gary of making everything up, which is one of the twins. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say how he described it was with incredibly crude language, like his father was accused of using. So honestly, it decredits his story. Yeah. Quite a bit. Bing's younger brother, Bob, just chalked it up to Bing being a man of the times. Mm -hmm. Um, Dennis and Lindsay kind of supported their brother Gary and kind of didn't want anything to do with it. They like didn't discredit what Gary was saying, but they also like didn't want to really dig up old bones. Yeah, fair. Yeah, I get it. But I think the true fruit of Bing's actions lie within their kids' lives, those four brothers, after his death. So all four sons didn't really talk to each other after like their dad Mm -hmm. died. They just really drifted away and they rarely saw each other except for Dennis and Lindsay. They were the ones that actually kind of stayed close by mm-hmm. and talked to each other. Like Philip and I want to say Gary, one of two of the brothers lived three blocks away from each other and didn't even go see each other. Oh dang. Yeah. That's how bad it was. It was reported from people magazine in 1983. And this is a direct quote. What they have shared over the years is a talent for trouble. Among them, the brothers have accumulated 11 wives at least five drunk driving arrests two affiliations with alcoholics anonymous and a paternity suit yeah that kind of stuff just doesn't happen to boys who were raised by loving parents yeah and all the crosby sons all had problems with drinking at some point and gary actually ruined his up-and-coming career and one of his marriages because of it he also had trouble getting a job because he was convinced that everyone hated him which is most likely because his father would tell him how much he didn't like him. Yeah. Or at least allude to he didn't like him. So, like, you were really issues. psychologically being messed with these kids. Yeah, he did. Like, 100%. And, like, it got to a point, and this is incredibly sad, and this could be triggering to anyone. So, trigger warning. Yeah. Um, but in 1989, Lindsay Crosby committed suicide because he found out that the trust fund that his mom set up for him um went broke basically it was like investments in oil and that oil company went under oh dang so they lost it all and his father bing put all of his money in a trust fund that none of the boys could touch till they're 65 what? only one son got to 65 what's the point of having a trust fund you can't access till you're practically dead i think he wanted the boys to actually do something with their lives i get that but, but also Put like a 35 year old limit. 45. On yeah. Yeah. Something like that. But yeah, 65. And Eight. so they only had their mother's share. And then in 1991, because Dennis was so close to Lindsay, he committed suicide oh, too. Dang. So 17 months after his brother, he committed suicide and he was going through a divorce. He was reeling after his brother's death. So it was a very tragic situation. Yeah. But anyway, What's kind of the verdict of all this? I think Bing made some very terrible mistakes mm-hmm. with his family. And it really shows in his son's lives. You can tell his son's never really recovered. Now, granted, everyone is responsible for their actions, but it could have been a little bit easier if Bing improved how they were raised and mm-hmm. really gave him a loving home. I think at the end of Bing's life, though, he kind of realized he messed up. One, I was reading... 
forget what I was reading, but from one of the stories I was researching, um, it was kind of alluded to the th- other three kids did not have that as a father. I think it was in Catherine's book mm-hmm. that that was not the same father, that he was much more mature then. You know, he had these kids, so 1933, so he had them at like 30. Was, well, yeah. even then, like he was still young, still doesn't excuse his actions. And then Gary reported that like at the very end of his life, being kind of reconciled with him, kind of didn't. Tried. He tried. He tried. But still, you, you can't treat people like yeah. that. Yeah. He also admitted in an interview in 1959 that Bing did, that he may not have raised the boys right, but he did the best he could. I don't think beating a kid is the best you can do. No. We have learned. Yeah. For his legacy, though, he did expand the genre of jazz. I would argue he made it mainstream yeah. early in his career. And just how he vocally sung back in the day had these jazz mannerisms that weren't being sung mm-hmm. in mainstream culture then. But for his parenting, Bing lived by an Italian proverb. He never kiss a baby until it's asleep. That's not healthy. No, it's not. And it's a proverb that's did more harm than good in his kids' yeah. lives. That's all I got. It's longer than I thought it was going to go. Yeah. So there is my airing of grievances against Bing Crosby. So take that for what you will. Yes. Decide how you would like to interpret all that. I leave it up to the jury. But I stand on the side of Bing Crosby is not the father figure we know. No. We need to remember that. And we'll be back next week with something way less depressing. Yes. <laughs> I always choose the depressing ones, don't I? <laughs> it's okay. You choose the depressing ones. I choose the crazy ones. Yeah. So, so it works out. It's great. It's just the four in me. Yeah. That's, that's just how just it works. I just want us all to be sad. Oh, you know. Anyway, what are you drinking? Well, it's today. I am drinking. one o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> it is New Year's Eve. So, yeah. you know. We're not at work. Oh, uh, no. I'm good. So I'm drinking this beer that came from Holly, Pennsylvania. My mom actually brought it. I think she bought it for Josh, but so far I've had two. <laughs> Sorry, Josh. It's from Wallen Pulpak Brewing Company, established in 2017. So they're fairly new and is a Pulpak cream ale. And it is super good. It's super smooth. It is nice. I've never had a cream ale and I'm a fan. I have to say nothing super exciting on it. Let's see here. It's pretty. It's very pretty can. It's from Pennsylvania. It's very minimalist start. A little bit rustic, but it's nice. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this right now. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review. Who knows? You may hear it on air. Uh, special thanks to Josh Tarpley for our intro riff and Lauren Page Photography for our cover art. Shout out to Backline and Speaker Tree for all of our coffee and record needs. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram at She Will Rock You Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at She Will Rock, the letter U pod. You can follow us personally at, at Beth Ann Tarpley and at Leah Elizabeth. J. And we'd love it if you'd send us an email to She Will Rock You Podcast at Gmail. Is there a topic you want to hear? Let us know. We may cover it. And as always, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs or drink. Or drink. Well, you can drink. We drink on this podcast. Well, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> drink in moderation. Drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. Bye.